Do you wish that all things wealth and finance were much easier to understand and not presented by a bunch of beige cardigan-wearing geeks? Welcome to the Clever Investor Podcast, where we're dishing up the easiest-to-understand finance program served in bite-sized chunks, so your brain will thank you as your knowledge grows. Hosted by the brilliant Owen Taylor, a multiple award-winning expert with a glorious knack for explaining the complex world of wealth in the simplest of ways. Hello, Clever Investors, and welcome back to part two of Property versus Shares. Let's kick the show off by having a look at the history, the performance of property over the years. Now, residential property in Australia has got a, a long term, it's got a fantastic habit of having some capital growth. So capital growth means that it's increased in value over the years. The latest research by the Reserve Bank of Australia, remember them, previous show, have a look at that, shows that Australian house prices have increased by about 7.25% each year over the last three decades. So that's pretty good performance there. Capital growth is stronger around the major cities in Australia. And if we take a look at this data on paper, we can see that residential property has by far been the best performing asset class out of all of the investments. It's important, though, to understand that property needs to be considered as a long-term investment. By long-term, I mean looking at this as at least a 10-year or more plan. Although that figures that I just gave you there are showing that the long-term average, the capital growth on Australian residential property is high, there are going to be periods when the property market stagnates or sometimes it even comes back a little bit. Now, history shows that these periods are well and truly offset by the growth periods. So it's important to remember holding property for the long term is going to allow you to capitalise on the upswings that occur within property markets. So we're not panicking when we've done our research and we're in, we know that we're in this for the longer term. So let's have a look at the history now of shares. And the All Ordinaries Index, or All Ords as you'll hear them say on the news, has long been regarded as the barometer for the Australian share market's performance. The All Ords contains the 500 largest companies that are listed on the Australian Securities Exchange. That's the ASX. And it lists really what's the total value of their shares. Over the last 10 years, the average annual compound return has only been about 4.3%. Compare that to residential property, you know, 7.25%. Now, it's important to understand that shares can be 
a lot more volatile than the property market. And there's been some major share market crashes in Australian history. Way back in 1987, the share market crashed by 25%. The very next day, the Australian market declined and massive falls occurred in the share markets around the world as a knock-on from that. Panic selling spread quickly as news of the fall spread. Now, we were in a different time, 1987. We got our news in slightly different ways. Prior to this Black Tuesday, as it was known, global share markets and our own Australian share market had experienced many years of strong growth. The Australian share market also fell by well over 50% in the months after and around the global financial crisis in 2007-2008. It took several years for the All Ords Index to reach the pre-global financial crisis levels. Many Australians who had a high exposure to share investments, many Australians who had a high exposure for share investments, and most of that was through super funds, had to delay... Uh, a lot of their retirement plans. These large crashes uh, highlight the volatility that exists within the share market and the timing of share investment is very important. If you speak to a lot of experts, the timing of major share market crashes is often difficult to predict. As with property, holding share investments over the long terms can help you capitalise on the upswing in the cycle to hopefully offset any of the effects of any major corrections that are going to happen. Let me talk to you about a term now called gearing. And this is to describe when we're borrowing money to invest. It's a strategy that allows you to leverage more assets for potential capital growth and income generation. Of course, (laughs) the opposite can also be true. A geared strategy can also magnify your losses. Gearing also allows you to minimise your tax exposure too. And that's where the term negative gearing comes from. This is a term you've most likely heard at a barbecue. An investment is negatively geared if the expenses that are associated with having it are greater than the income that it generates. That's because you can deduct the expenses from the investment income you receive. A positive geared investment means that it's paying you more than what the expenses are. You can still claim the tax deductibility of the expenses, just as you could in negative gearing. Neutrally geared means that the income and the expenses are on a level playing field. Investment properties allow you to make greater use of this gearing. And that's because there are more items that are uh, deductible. So you can claim back the management costs, any repair costs, maintenance costs, borrowing expenses, any of your legal fees, and also your property management fees. So the real estate looking after your property as well. Plus, you can also claim back the depreciation against the building and all of the fixtures and the fittings. 
Now, on the flip side of that, there's fewer tax-deductible expenses associated with shares investments. Generally, you can only claim the cost of the interest on the money that you may have used to borrow these shares, as well as if you've got uh, any management fees. Now, when we're borrowing money to invest, you're going to find that uh, there's a big difference between borrowing money for shares and borrowing money for property. You'll find that the lenders will regard real estate investment in especially residential real estate. So that's property that you're going to live in or have other people live into. The risk is is less. Now, when we're borrowing money for an investment, there's a big difference between the money that you're borrowing for property and the money that you're borrowing for shares. Generally, you'll find that the the banks, the lenders regard real estate investment as a lot lower risk. This long-term stability of residential property bodes in your favour here. The money that you're borrowing for residential property is the cheapest money that you can borrow out there in the market. Because of this stability of the residential property market over the long term, in short, the banks know that they'll be better able to reclaim their money if anything goes wrong with your dealing. So if they have to sell the property to claim their money back. The same can't always be said though for commercial property and the risks can be a lot higher. And that's because it's a bit more of a, a narrower use of property. And especially when it's commercial property, which is for a, a specialist field. These properties can be uh, uh, emptier for longer, waiting to find a tenant. And also when you're trying to sell the property, it can sit on the market for an awfully lot longer time. So the risk is higher. So the cost of borrowing the money against that risk is then higher. Now, one of the downsides of property, though, is the costs of buying and selling it compared to shares. Firstly, there's a much larger purchase price for any typical property. You'll also be charged stamp duty when you're buying the property, as well as there's going to be real estate agent fees or commissions when you're even selling the property too. And these costs can all add up to many, many thousands of dollars. On the other hand, when you buy some shares or you're getting them through a managed fund, the expenses can be a few hundred dollars, if that. So the barriers to entering into the share markets aren't as high. Any ongoing brokerage or management fees for your share investment portfolio are also a lot lower than when we're looking at real estate. However, keep an eye on the bottom line because they can add up. Now, while we're talking about shares, let's talk about a thing called franking credits. And you may have heard of this term. This is a tax benefit offered by some share investments. So I talked earlier on about dividends that you get from shares. So that's when the company's made a, uh, a profit and they're going to share that profit with you. So that's an income. So normally you'd be liable to be paying tax on any income. So franking credits on share dividends 
give the investors a credit on the tax that the company has already paid on the profit. They avoid the profits being taxed twice. So it's by the company and then by you again, the shareholder later on. Now, the company tax rate in Australia varies between about 27 to 30%, depending on the, the, the size of the company. The impact of the tax credit depends on the investor's marginal tax rate. So that is how much tax you paid in your regular financial year. Now, the other term you'll hear is capital gains tax, and I've certainly thrown that around a few times. So it's abbreviated to CGT, and it's important when you're starting to think about investing that at some point you are more than likely going to pay tax. So don't be scared of this. Let's understand actually what it is. If you make a capital gain, so you've made a profit on, um, it doesn't matter whether it's property or shares, you're going to need to pay some tax on that. Now, the only exception to this when you're selling property is when you're selling your owner-occupied property. So that is exempt from capital gains tax, but your investment properties are liable for capital gains tax. Any capital gains you make on the sale of these investments is added to your taxable income in the year that you sell the asset and you'll pay capital gains tax at your marginal tax rate. The cost of acquiring or disposing, selling any of your property or share investments can be quite legitimately used to reduce your capital gains tax. So that's, you know, you've employed a real estate agent to sell the property. You've got a um, brokerage fees um, for selling off some of your shares. Now, as by way of a bit of a conclusion here, the reason why we're investing in shares or property is to make money. And if you're going to make money, you are at some point going to need to pay tax on that money. That's what keeps the economy, that's what keeps the country rolling along as great as it is. You need to understand how and if you're going to be uh, liable for any tax. I certainly believe that there's, uh, if there's one group of people you don't want to annoy in this world, it's our tax department. So you'll need to spend some time with your accountant and look at what the options are. And, and there is there are good and there are bad times to actually sell your investments. And this is what these people are there for you to help understand. You shouldn't be working all of this stuff out via Dr. Google. Now, both shares and property have their advantages and they certainly have their disadvantages as well. Each of them can provide you with a fantastic opportunity to uh, increase your wealth and at the same time, they can also cause you to lose some money. The investment returns on either one of these categories is never guaranteed. As with any investment, there is always an element of risk. 
the extent of that risk is going to depend on the type of property or the type of shares that you are buying into and how much you're diversifying. Do not put all your eggs in one basket. Gather together your team of experts, run your ideas past them. They're there to to help you. Ultimately, the bottom line is you've got to make a decision. Be an active investor, whether you're buying into shares or whether you're buying into properties. However, the investment returns in either category is never guaranteed. And as with any investment, there's always an element of risk. The extent of that risk is going to depend on the type of property or the type of shares that you're going to buy, how much you've put into them, uh, whether you're diversifying your investments. My biggest tip is never be greedy about this. Take a long-term view and ask as many questions as you can of your expert team. I hope this has shared a little bit of a light on shares versus property. There's nothing wrong with either one. I will admit to you that I am quite pro-property, but I can also see and I have traded in shares myself because the entry point is a lot lower but it can also go away a lot quicker. Thanks for tuning in, Clever Investors, and I'll see you again on the next show. You have been listening to the Clever Investor Podcast, a weekly podcast dishing up the easiest to understand finance program served in bite-sized chunks, so your brain will thank you as your knowledge grows. If you enjoyed the show, We'd love you to leave a review. It's the best way for us to reach new listeners.